You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, today is Palm Sunday, if you haven't noticed that. Uh, it's a very special day across, uh, across the church. And uh, Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week. It's the Sunday before Easter. It commemorates Jesus Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And for Holy Week this year, our theme is One True King. And it's going to carry us through a number of services that we have. We have a prayer service on Wednesday, Good Friday services on Friday. We have our Easter services all on the theme of One True King. And then that's also going to be kind of a springboard into a new series Pastor Craig is going to be preaching on. Uh, on idolatry and, and, and how we approach that topic in our city. And uh, today we're going to look at the book of Luke, chapter 19, through verses 28 through 44. It's a passage that we've already been, uh, been listening to together. And all the Gospels have this triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So we're just looking at Luke. And I hope that we see in Luke 19, that this one true king has a unique authority, a unique humility, and a unique compassion that makes him the one true king to trust. So as you're turning there, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go ahead and get started. Lord, as we open up your word now, we humble our hearts before you. We invite you, Spirit of God, to help us to see everything that you want us to see about your glory Help us to see ourselves the way that you want us to, to see ourselves, Lord. And help us, Lord, to, to, to be changed, Lord, by the gospel, by the power of your truth. Lord, thank you that your truth sets us free when every lie binds us up. And we ask that your truth would do that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's first look at his authority in verse 28. We read these words earlier. Let's look at them again. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32 says, so those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And then they brought it. To Jesus, There is an authority that we cannot miss in this passage, and that is that when Jesus speaks, things happen. Whatever he promises uh, always comes to pass. It is an impossible thing for it not to come to pass, anything that Jesus speaks. And this is a consistent theme throughout the book of Luke. When Jesus begins his ministry in the book of Luke, in chapter 4, he goes into the temple and he takes out a 700-year-old Scroll. It was the scroll of Isaiah. It was the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll in front of everybody and he reads from the prophet Isaiah the words that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim 
liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a proclamation ministry of Jesus that he says this is what the prophet Isaiah said would be part of the Messiah, a, an authority to whatever he says. And he goes about proclaiming good news and setting uh, captives free and recovery of sight to the blind. As soon as he leaves there, he enters into a synagogue and there's a man who had an unclean demon and the demon starts to cry out with a loud voice. The demon says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The, the demons know who he is and they understand his authority over them. And the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And we see that Jesus rebukes him and says, be silent, come out of him. And it says, they were all amazed. And they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. With authority and power, when he speaks, things happen. They come out. And reports of him went out to every place in the surrounding region. And as soon as he leaves that place... This, this dramatic moment, he goes into uh, a friend's house. His disciple Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever. And he stands over her and he rebukes the fever. He proclaims something over the fever. And it says it left her. His authority cast the seemingly small sickness out of her body as soon as he did something dramatic in the temple. And then he goes on. Now the sun was setting, and all those who had somebody who was sick with various diseases, they brought it to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and they were healed. And demons start crying out, you are the son of God. But he rebukes them. He proclaims a rebuke over them. And he wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. When Jesus speaks, nothing can stand in his way, according to the book of Luke. He speaks with the very authority of God. And here's the reason why he speaks with the very authority of God. It's because Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He's not just a prophet of God. He wasn't just a prophet anointed for a moment with power from God. He is the one and only God Man And what he promises is impossible to stop. He has authority over big and small things. He has authority over powers and principalities like galaxies that he spoke into existence in Genesis chapter 1. And demons who know exactly who he is. They know exactly the kind of authority that he has. And that should bring us great comfort because 2020 and 2021, we have encountered some big things. And we need to know that Jesus has authority over every big thing. No matter how big it's been in your life this year. Many of us have gone through seasons of depression, of isolation, and of loneliness. Some, no doubt, might have even experienced oppression. Maybe even de demonic temptation or oppression. And Jesus has authority over all of those big things. But listen today. Jesus also has authority over the smallest, tiniest, most insignificant details of our lives, like fevers and like donkeys. You'll notice in verse 30, there's a donkey that's a part of this story. He says, go into the village in front of you. 
or on entering it, you'll find a colt. That's a, that's a small, young male donkey on which no one has ever yet sat. Seemingly small, insignificant detail. But it's important that we notice something about this detail. At this moment, Passover is four days away. And that makes this the tenth day of the month. It's really important because when God gave the Passover to the people, he told Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a male, a year old, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Before a single song is sung of Hosanna, Jesus is going into Jerusalem to be the lamb killed at twilight. He told Moses, take some of the blood of the lamb, put it on the two doorposts of the house in which they eat, and the the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When God brings judgment, when he sees the blood, everyone in the house is safe, and death passes over them. And every detail and every person and everything that's in the house is safe. Jesus includes this unblemished male donkey set apart to take him away to his suffering in this story as just another evidence, another reminder that he's this Passover lamb set apart to take away our sins so that death would pass over us, that we would live free from this incredible fear of death. You see, we deserve death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve because we've broken God's law, both in our actions and in our nature, is death. We deserve separation from God. We deserve judgment and we deserve death and death eternal. But the free gift of God, Romans 6 tells us, is eternal life. God desires for us to have eternal life. He desires you to have eternal life. And it comes to us as a free gift. That's the only way that gifts come to us, free. Free from somebody. And it comes receiving, not something that we earn. We receive a free gift of God all in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the offer of salvation that God gives to all people on Palm Sunday. The wages of our sin is death. But if you trust in Jesus Christ today, you can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins and death will pass over you and life eternal will come into you through the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But like this random donkey, Jesus includes in this redemptive redemptive story, listen, the smallest, most insignificant details of our lives. Sometimes it's easier to trust God with the big things Then the small things, the small details. But Jesus cares about the details of our lives when we don't care, when we think he's blind to that or 
It doesn't really matter in the redemptive story of the cross. The blood covering all things of my life certainly shouldn't extend to the smallest details of my life. But Jesus is into the details. He, he told us, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That promise hasn't given me a lot of hope over the years. <laughs> but at least God knows. He knows these, these hairs, right? <laughs> he says, listen, he says, fear not, fear not. You are of more value than many, many sparrows. He's into the sparrows and the details and the blood of the cross, the blood that would be spilt starting with his journey to the cross on Palm Sundays covers the smallest details of our lives. The other day I was... I went for a run, and, uh, you know, I was thinking of these big things in my head. And I, you know, I put my headphones on, and I just went for this, I went for this run around the block. And I've, I've gone on this run many times. And as I was running, I, I, I don't know what I did. I must have, I must have hit a, a stone or must have hit some part of the sidewalk where the ledge is up or something. I went back to look at it. I could not find what I hit. I don't know what my foot hit when I was running. Michelle tells me I don't pick up my feet enough. I do this, I don't know, scutter run. I don't know what it is. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not like Caleb Wilkinson. Who, uh, I, I look at my shadow, it's embarrassing. But anyway, I'm on this run and I must have hit something. And I, guys, I ugly fell. You know what I'm talking about? It's where your momentum is carrying you forward. And you're like, I need to, I'm, I'm falling. I need to get my balance. And, you know, it's happening. And you're trying to run faster to keep yourself from falling. And it makes a shortfall a, like, nine-step fall. And so I'm just falling. And I'm like, I'm falling. This is happening. I'm going to fall. So I veer off into a, a yard. And I just, I've watched enough parkour videos to know that you roll when you fall. So I just rolled into this guy's yard. <laughs> and I just sat there. And I didn't know what to do. I just, I just laid there. You know, I just laid there in the grass a little bit, just thinking, I don't want to get up because I'm just, wor- who saw me fall? You know, <laughs> you ever do that? You're like, who saw me fall? So I slowly get up. I look to my right. Sure enough, the owner of the house, he saw me fall. <laughs> He's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. He's like, you got to watch those, those sprinklers. I said, like, no, it was a bobcat. Bobcat ran past me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm also looking around the neighbor. Who else saw me fall? You ever do that thing? You're kind of brushing yourself off. You just kind of want to give. You're just, I'm consumed with who saw me fall. And I'm sure some other people saw me fall. There's cars driving all over the place. Somebody over here for this open house. Some people, some people walking in their groceries. And I'm just consumed with who, who saw me. Who, who saw me? Well, a lot of people probably saw me that day. But, but don't miss this, that God saw me. God saw me fall. Uh, he saw me fall. He saw me fall to the ground. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. He saw me fall. He, he saw the, that small, what seemingly insignificant detail, that comical moment of my life. He was aware of that, saw that, had authority over all of that. And he has authority over the big things that was consuming me. 
that was keeping me from picking up my feet on this, on this run. And he cares about all of those things. And when we think of his death and his resurrection, it's not just for the big things of our lives. It's for the small things as well. He sees us. He knows us. He cares about us. And he has authority over us. Just like this, this seemingly insignificant donkey in the story. It's not insignificant to Jesus. In the smallest details of our lives, he's involved and a part of. Well, let's look at his humility. Verse 35. It says, they brought it to Jesus. That's his authority. When he speaks, things happen. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. The disciples see something here that is a fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9, we are given these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. So now we see why the donkey. Why the donkey? It's because Zechariah 9 said the Messiah would come into Jerusalem, bringing salvation, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a male donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and the Messiah shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the promise of the Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to bring power and rule and authority from sea to sea and bring this revolutionary peace from one end of the earth to the other end. And it would start by him coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the disciples start to get this. They start to get this. They mount him on there. They start to worship him. They start to put their cloaks on the road. Now, there are many times the disciples get things wrong, right? And Jesus has no problem correcting them. He has no problem adjusting them right as they're doing something. But there's no correction in this moment. There is no adjustment to this. Jesus says this is good and right, what you're doing. Laying your cloaks out before me as I'm leaving uh, the Mount of Olives to into the city of Jerusalem, and he does not stop them for, for one moment. It's appropriate because he is this king. He is the Messiah of Zechariah chapter 9. And verse 37 says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, listen to this, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they start to say, and this should be in quotes in your Bible, and you step on the screen as well, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And what they, what they start to sing as they recognize that Jesus is this Messiah of Zechariah 9 is Psalm 118. You don't have to turn there, but let me read just a short section of Psalm 118. They start to sing this psalm. It says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. 
I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And it concludes, Psalm 118 concludes with, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he's made his light to shine upon us. And in their exuberance, in their worship, in their recognition of who he is, that starts to unfold and starts to grow, and the, the, the shouts start to get bigger, and the songs start to get bit, bigger, they recognize this is him. This is the Messiah of Zechariah chapter 9. And it's appropriate for us to sing Psalm 118 to him. But they do something interesting in this moment. Psalm 118, 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But notice, that's not the word they use. They use the word king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they insert the language, peace, peace in heaven. This king brings peace in heaven and glory in the highest They take the language of Zechariah 9 about a king mounted on a donkey, speaking peace to the nation, speaking with authority, ruling from sea to sea, and says, this is the king who is to be glorified in the highest place because he is the one bringing peace, and he's the king. And so they do something interesting. It is kind of like the very first collaborative mixtape of the New Testament because you had Psalm 118 and Zechariah 9 coming together, merging together. They're like, let's bring both of these ideas together and let's sing this to this king. Let's sing Psalm 118, but let's use Zechariah 9 uh, to inform who this is. He is the king who brings peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And that language, listen, that language, peace in heaven, glory in the highest, doesn't that sound an awful lot like Luke chapter 2? Where we are told suddenly there were with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. You remember that that was Linus's text. Charlie Brown says, what's the meaning of Christmas? Linus says, it's the glory of God. Peace on earth with whom he is well pleased. So in Luke chapter 2. The angels say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And in Luke 19, the disciples say peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The angels know only one person can bring peace on the earth. And in this moment, the disciples know only one person can bring peace in heaven. And the Apostle Paul tells us who this person is. In Colossians 1, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to do. He will bring peace by making peace by his blood on the cross. 
and it's cause for celebration. This is the day. This is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. The day of redemption has come. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. And that's why there's hosannas. That's why there's praise coming forth. But not everybody's happy. Notice verse 39, the Pharisees aren't happy. I mean, those Pharisees are never happy. They're never happy in our lives. The, 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 the legalists, the people who feel like they, 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 they've got to earn their righteous standing before God and they are looking to their own moral code. Well, they're not happy. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. This is wrong. This is inappropriate. This is blasphemy to them. This is worthy of death to them. He's, he's placing himself as the Messiah of Zechariah 9. They can't do that. Rebuke them. And Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is a moment of Jesus asserting his cosmic authority over all things. He sees all things, knows all things. And if we are silent, God does not need us to praise him. The very stones of the ground would cry out. They cried out to God in Genesis 4. God told Cain after he murdered his brother that your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, cried out to him. In, in Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us, we know that the whole creation's been groaning in, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Every moment that we see destructive things happen in nature, it's the crying out of creation awaiting for new life. All creation is waiting for a restart, a, a renewal of the entire planet, crying out for new life that comes when Jesus returns back to this, to this earth. Well, that is humility. And that is our Messiah who comes to us humbly on a, on a cult. But notice his compassion. This is the last thing I want us to see. In verse 41, as he enters into the city, notice what happens. When he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, there's just a few times in Scripture where we see Jesus weeping. When we see tears come down his cheeks and you actually see him weeping, it's it's, uh, you know, it's, it's right before the cross, Garden of Gethsemane. It's on the cross. It's also in, in this, it was at Lazarus' tomb. Remember Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, takes a moment and, pray, and, and weeps for the loss of his friend. But it's also in this moment when he thinks of the city and he, he thinks of his visitation to the city and their blindness. The, 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 the pool of Pharisees that do not recognize who he is and the whole city not recognizing who he is and that this is the day of salvation. He weeps. He weeps. And notice what he says. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone 
upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. There's this immediate judgment that Jesus is speaking about, but there's also a judgment beyond that. It's just a picture of a future judgment. When people do not recognize the time, they do not know the way that makes for peace. They don't understand. They don't see it. They don't get it. And Jesus prayed and, uh, and wept in Luke 13, earlier in the book, when in chapter 13, verse 34, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus, I'm willing to gather you all in, every single one of you, but you are not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's been no recognition between Luke 13 and Luke 19 that this is the day of salvation. This is the king of kings. And they don't recognize it. They don't see it. And Jesus sees that they don't see it. And he has compassion on them. Jesus has compassion on us. In Matthew, we're told that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And the reason they were harassed and the reason they were helpless is that they were sheep without a shepherd. That's the most dangerous, precarious position you can be in if you're a sheep, is to be a sheep wandering without a shepherd. And you could be a sheep today wandering around without a shepherd. And you are in a dangerous place. And the most dangerous position you could be in is to not recognize the moment that you have. To not recognize that this is the day of salvation. That Jesus has come into us, come into this, this, this city, our city, our lives, humble and offering salvation to us. And you could be blind to that or too busy to consider that or too, too into your own things to recognize that this is the time of God's visitation. And that you could miss out on the way to peace. And you could miss out. On this shepherd and, and, and coming under his fold and his protection. In his first coming, people expected Jesus to bring judgment and not mercy. That, that was, they were so offended by Jesus' humility because they expected judgment to come to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But listen, today, in his second coming, the time before his second coming, people expect him, if they believe that he's going to return, he's going to bring mercy and not judgment. And it's not the case. In Revelation 19, we see a picture of Jesus coming back that is alarming. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Not a humble foal, but a victorious white horse. And the one Sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he brings judgment and makes war. Who's he making war against? All evil. All injustice. Jesus comes back to bring righteousness as the faithful and true one. He is going to return. He is on his way. He could come tomorrow. He could come today. He's on his way, and his way back into the city, he is not going to just bring mercy. He's bringing judgment and truth and faithfulness, and he knows all, and, he, and all will stand before him. Matthew 28 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, 
And he will separate people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. It will be a day of incredible celebration as Christ returns uh, for his people. But listen, there are some. There are some on that day, Revelation 6 tells us, that will call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face, the brilliant, glorious face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Can you picture that? Can you picture how, is that, is that picture completely absent from the culture today? I, I would contend that it is completely absent as people are expecting the second coming of Jesus to be something similar to his first, and it will be very different. It will be very different. And I share all of that, not only because it's true and not only is it, is it coming, but I share all that because today, listen, today is not that day. Today is not that day. Today, Jesus comes to us humbly, offering mercy, coming to us close as a, as a king, humble, on a donkey. He comes to us as the Savior of Zechariah 9. Behold, your king's coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And listen, he's made his light to shine upon us. And for those who have eyes to see and those who have ears to hear, listen, listen, come into the light. Come into the light today. If you're in the light, rejoice in the light. Rejoice in the light because he's caused his light through Christ to shine upon you and me. And if you're in the darkness, run away from the darkness and come into the light. Do that now. Don't assume I'll do that later. I'll do that a year from now or two years or 20 years from now. How do you know you'll be so inclined 20 years from now? How do you know you'll be so inclined a day from now? If God is calling you, today is the day of salvation. Walk into this light. Through the cross, Jesus has opened up the gates of righteousness. Psalm 118 says, anyone may enter through the gates. Enter through this gate. This is the gate. Jesus is the gate. Come into the kingdom and give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.